This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Thursday, February 18th, 2021, and my guest is the excellent Adam Dowd. Hi, Adam. How are you? Hello, Miriam. I'm happy to be joining you. This is, uh, this is amazing. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last show you were on was like over a year ago, at least, maybe two years. According to Skype, it was 2018. There you <laughs> so, go. So th- almost three years. Yeah, it, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. So, hey, we got a bunch of topics. You saw it's, it hasn't been a super newsy week. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm not complaining. But yeah. um, we've got some interesting little tidbits. I gathered what I thought was the best stuff. There's more. You know, there's always all these Apple leaks and rumors. And I'm always super, like, take with a grain of salt. Like, there's rumors that they're going to have an event in March. Duh. Of course, they're going to have an event in March. They need to launch some new iPads right. at some point. But, you know, I'm not super excited about those. I'm kind of more excited about some of the other stuff. Um, you just got a Galaxy S21 Ultra, right? You you bought one. I did. And I don't want to talk about it too much because we, we've already covered it. But there's a lot of kind of leaks and rumors around the Galaxy Z Fold and Z Flip coming up. And I thought I'd pick your brain about that. I will not be buying that but because <laughs> I, I have a very limited budget. And the only reason I have the S21 Ultra is because T-Mobile lost its freaking mind when it comes to trade-ins. So that's the only reason I own that phone. I mean, look, it's a great phone. And if you can get a good deal on it, I've really thought of getting one. But if I had, if, if Samsung had been able to tell me like, hey, we won't be able to get you a review in it for like a month, two months, whatever time frame, then I would have gone out and bought one. But now I felt like I missed the boat. You know, I, yeah. I'm too late to really review it. And I've covered it on the show extensively. And then I'm also, you know, what do I want to spend my own money? They're eventually going to send me one. They will. They did last right. year. It was late too. But, you know, so I'm not too worried. But have you played with the Z Fold 2 or the Z Flip so far? Very, very limited time, and the only time I've ever played with a foldable device that wasn't a laptop was when it was tethered to a a retail table. (laughs) So (laughs) take that for what you will. But yeah, I have used it, and I'm, I gotta say, like, um, especially since I've been using the Lenovo X1 fold that we talked about offline um and so just like the idea of a folding screen is just kind of amazing to me and so like when i've when i've had the opportunity to play with the z fold 2 it has been just it's been gobsmackingly awesome so i'm 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 very much enjoying it yeah my my story on this is i never got the original fold and i wasn't going to spend that money especially after the you know relatively negative reviews even with the updated model if they had sent me one for sure i would have played with it sure but then i got to i bought a z flip when it launched again not with the intent on keeping it but i knew based on past experience that samsung was going to be a little more hesitant to send especially small publications like mine the folding phone, right? So I knew they wouldn't get to send me one. So I bought one early yeah. on and I reviewed it and I fell in love. Like the flip is not the big bad, right? It's like the the kind of like, you know, compact and turns into a phone kind of phone. Yeah. And, and I love that form factor. I have to say, this is really impressive to me. And so then I, you know, I returned it because I wasn't going to keep that. It was, it's, it, I knew they were coming out with a 5G version later in the year. Like it was obvious. And I'm like, this is going to evolve so quickly. There's no point in me hanging on to this. So oh, yeah. then 
I bought the Fold 2, the big bad boy, um, mm-hmm. as well to be returned because I knew they wouldn't send me a review in it. And <laughs> man, that thing blew my mind. Like this is like, if there is one phone from 2020 that if cost is not an, like a concern, is yeah. like the mother of all phones, this is it. Like it is insane. I'm just, I'm so, I, I'm so worried about like, breaking it and you know i know that a number of reviewers have you know snazzy q michael fisher they've all you know said that this is more durable than you think it is and i get that but at the same time you know just those you you just you have that little thing in the back of your head you're saying you remember that first one and you can't move past that yeah yeah i mean it's not water resistant you know it's not dust resistant and you don't you don't want to drop it like it's going to be more fragile in some ways but they're right that it's not like, you know, for everyday use, it's fine. The only thing you really have to worry about is scratching the screen. And the original Z Flip and the original Fold did not come with a pre-applied screen protector. Um, but, right. you know, the, the original Z Flip was the first to introduce that glass in plastic or plastic laced with glass or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like very thin layer of glass. Well, like ultra thin glass, I think is what they called it. And frankly, it feels a million times better than like the Razer or the original fold in terms of like feeling like glass when you run your finger on it. 100% agree. But then with the Z Fold 2 and the Z Flip 5G, yeah. they put a pre-applied screen protector on. And so when I bought my Z Fold 2, it had the pre-applied screen protector. And honestly, it felt more like a razor again. It felt like plastic because mm. it, it's kind of like hard to explain, but it's like a, almost like a rubberized plastic. Like... It, it has that stickiness that you get with silicone or rubber a little bit. So scrolling and stuff feels less smooth. Yeah. And, and so uh, you can remove it. They recommend you bring it to Samsung to remove it. And then you get back to that kind of glass-laced plastic or plastic-covered glass, whatever you want, the super thin glass. And yeah. so if I had kept my Fold 2, I think I would have removed that screen protector mm. because it feels so much better. And then I got a Z Flip 5G to review from AT&T. So AT&T was super awesome last year. They sent me both the Razer 5G and mm. the Z Flip 5G simultaneously within a day or two of each other. And I was able to play with them side by side. And it's my first time using the Razer since, you know, they launched the original Razer in LA. I was at the launch event. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly... The Razer is not even in the same league as the Z Flip. Like, not even remotely. Like, Samsung is so far ahead. It's such a better phone, the Z Flip. The only where place where I think the Razer really brings in some... Where, where I feel it, it does a better job is it's got a much larger front display that you can often use with the phone closed. Absolutely, yeah. To do basic stuff. So that's been my Z Flip, Z Fold experience, but that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to kind of pick your brain. <laughs> oh, look at that. We got into a tangent within the first 10 minutes. I like how we spend the last five minutes talking about something that you don't want to talk about. <laughs> well, no, I didn't want to talk about the, the S21 Ultra, so we, did, we didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, we just mentioned it. So there are rumors, there are two rumors on the Z Fold 3, which is the next generation of the Z Fold. And one is that it looks aesthetically a lot like cosmetically a lot like the uh you know what we've seen with the s21 that that camera pod that blends into the edge right mm-hmm. yeah of course there could be a photoshop at this point because it's like predictably gonna look like that right but then you know we also have rumors of the z fold 3 having an under display camera possibly being the first samsung under display camera phone and based on what i've seen from the few 
you know, my fellow YouTube creators and reviewers who got their hands on the ZTE phone, the ZTE mm-hmm. phone that has the under display camera, the first one, the uh, Axon 20, 20, whatever it's called. Yeah. You know, they didn't do a very good job with that front. Like it, it looked really bad. Right. It's cool, but it looks. And so I'm wondering if some, for Samsung to put that into their flagship, it's got to be way better, right? I would have to think so, yeah. They wouldn't compromise. They would put a punch hole if they didn't think it was going to be good enough. So I think this might be the turning point for under display cameras, at least on the higher price devices. Although, I mean, at the same time, and I hate to keep beating this particular dead horse, but Samsung did release the originals fold where when there were you know, clearly some engineering issues going on. So as you know, ordinarily, yes, I would, I would give Samsung the benefit of the doubt, but again, there's that nagging thing in the back of my head that says, well, you know, they might just be pushing a little bit too hard on this one. But I think then it's not in their best interest. They're really wanting folding phones to become a thing. Oh yeah. And the Z Fold 2 was such a success. Anybody I've ever talked to that either bought one or got a review unit, whether they were in the media and were tech savvy or not, because there are a few normal people who went out there and bought it. Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Love it in not just it's cool and I've got the best phone on the planet way, but in like, I find this to be a significant improvement in my life for what my needs are. And it's super well implemented, Right. Yeah, when I was talking with Chris Velasco from um, Engadget, uh, I, I had him on to talk specifically about the Z Fold 2, and he said that after he returned his review unit, because you know Samsung only lets you keep it for like 30 days, he went out and spent his own money on one because he felt it was incumbent on him as a technology reviewer to have one, to own one, and he felt that after his review period with the, with the, Gala, with the Z Fold 2, that Samsung had made that turn had crossed the, you know made this a mainstream ready device and that's why he was willing to put his own money up for it so i totally agree with you yeah so it'll be interesting to see how this pans out uh, we don't know too much about the z flip 2 basically there are some specs that have been published uh, as leaks the z fold 3 should come with 256 gigs of storage uh, as a base <laughs> and then the galaxy z flip 2 comes with 128 or 256 gigs of storage of course android 11 on both that's all we know but the under display camera on the z fold 3 had me kind of like raise my eyebrow go like wow that would uh, that would have to be significantly better than what we saw before absolutely you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm I'm still kind of like, eh, we'll wait and see, you know, but, and, and this is actually, this highlights one of the reasons why on my podcast, I tend to not talk about rumors all that much because, you know, you show me a rumor that says one thing, I'll show you five that says a completely different thing. So, I mean, like, this could be cool. It, it would be very good. And I think by talking about rumors, you get the opportunity to analyze the potential impact of that rumor. Like, if it were true... This is what's going to happen, and this why it's this is why it's going to be great. So, but at the same time, you get you just got to kind of wait and see, and we'll and we'll wait and see for sure. I mean, look, I'm also very cautious about rumors and leaks, but I also find that my audience really likes kind of like speculating, like I do. Yeah. Number one and number two, I you know I've got like 15 years of experience vetting rumors and leaks, and so this under display leak or rumor comes from Ice Universe. Yeah. One of the most prolifically accurate leakers of all time on Twitter, okay? Yeah. And and it's supported not just by him tweeting it. It's supported by a photo that clearly looks like some sort of promo material from Samsung. Like a lifestyle image type thing, yeah. 
So that means to me that this could be very real, you okay. know? And that's why I brought it up. Because honestly, like I said earlier, like Apple rumors, there are so many of them and some of them are so far out there that I oh, don't yeah. want to go there, right? And also, you know, it's a timing thing. Like yeah. for me, leaks and rumors, if they happen like within a month or two of launch, like what should be based on past chronology or launch, Mm-hmm. I think that's generally accurate. Also, they come in chunks, right? They come in groups. Yeah. So these are two disparate rumors from two different sources. But to me, that's when I was like, aha, it is time for the fold and slip rumor and leak mill to actually come up with some, you know, helpful things. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, the next one we have is another leak, I guess, a tech radar. I mean, I've got... I've, in the show notes, I'll have links to a bunch of different pubs that cover these various leaks and rumors. They're oh, not yeah. the ones who found this, but P50 series from Huawei, their flagship imaging phones, should be coming out in March. It's It looks like the uh, the launch date has been leaked around, you know, March 26 to 28. So knowing Huawei, that makes sense. Like that's roughly the time of year where they launched the P50. Yeah. So I think that even if this rumor and leak is not accurate, it's clear that we should be starting to ramp up for some P50 leaks and rumors, basically. Oh, yeah. And the one the one that kind of stood out to me in this particular article was the new ultra sensing camera system. What do, yeah. you, what do you make of that? I mean, because, OK, so because Huawei is, you know, very far ahead of most of the rest of the field when it comes to optics. And so I'm kind of curious as to what a new ultra sensing camera system from one of the best camera phones already. I'm kind of curious as to like how much better they can make this or what 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 is going to be involved in an ultra sensing camera system. Well, so my theory here is that, you know, the Mate 40 Pro, I have one, it's got the new Kirin chip in it. Probably this P50 is going to probably come with that same Kirin chip, which mm-hmm. is current their current flagship. And that chip is capable of a lot more compute and especially machine learning like AI, ML stuff, you know, than the previous chip that's on the P40 right now. Yeah. So in terms of sensors, I don't expect a radical change, but it's clear when they made the Mate 40 that they held back a little bit. I'll give you an example. There's a non-pro, a pro, and a pro plus right now on the P40 and the Mate 40. And on the Mate 40, unlike the previous Mate 30, you know, they have kind of tuned down the hardware on the camera side and put more emphasis on the software computational stuff. Okay. And I'll give you an example. As I said, there's three models. There's a non-pro and a pro and a pro plus on the Mate 40. And the pro doesn't even have OIS on the main sensor. Mm, okay. They decided that because video is more of a focus on the Mate series and photography, that they would... Uh, do the the image stabilization digitally using a AI based uh, stabilization, and it works pretty well, to be frank. But I was still very upset about that. So I asked Huawei in-house PR a lot of questions as to why they made that decision. Now, if you want to buy a Mate 40 that has OIS on the main sensor, you can buy the Mate 40 Pro Plus. Obviously, that one has zero compromises. And you do get OIS on the telephoto, no matter what. Like if you get the Mate 40 Pro. It has a 5X periscope telephoto, and that's stabilized, and it's great. Mm. But it's interesting to see that, you know, with the P40 series, they made zero compromises really on the hardware. And then the Mate 40 now, they're starting to kind of like, you have to really get to the 
Pro Plus to get the best physical hardware, but they're relying more on the Kirin chip for a lot of these kind of things that hardware could do, like image stabilization on the main sensor. And so what I'm getting to here is that the P50 series should be no compromise on the hardware at all, right? And then applying all that software goodness from the new Kirin chip from the Mate 40, right? Right. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of the fusion between all the different sensors. So if you read my P40 Pro Plus review on uh, Gear Diary, I'll put a link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, you'll see that they are doing some stuff that nobody else is really doing quite to the same level. Right. When you take a photo with the telephoto on the P40 Pro Plus, they have two telephotos on that phone, right? There is a 3X and then there's a 10X periscope. Both are stabilized. Both are only 8 megapixel sensors. Yet the output of the photo is 10.6 megapixels. So how does that work, right? You're going to say, yeah. are they upscaling to 10.6? Why would they do that from an 8 megapixel? No, they're not. They're using fusion of data between the 40 megapixel ultrawide, the 50 megapixel main, and the, both 8 megapixels. Right. Wait. So the very edge of the <laughs> okay. of the photo, the, the the extra megapixels on the ten point six are actually f- digitally fused from the main sensor. Oh, is your brain exploding yet? A, a little bit, a little bit. I, yeah, yeah, no, I, it's it's insane. Like they are doing stuff that I don't think anybody else is doing. Like they're literally processing images from all cameras at the same time, all the time. Yeah, and in low light, that really pays off because they get the actual individual pixel data, the color data and the individual pixel resolution from the 8 megapixel telephoto when you zoom in at night. Mm. But they get the the light sensitivity from the main sensor, which is an RYYB sensor, and they fuse it together. That's so trippy. So basically, even though the 8 (laughs) megapixel sensor is a really small sensor, like maybe one micron pixel, it's not that like strong of a sensor in low light. They get really good light, low light performance because they're using essentially the Luma part of the picture from the main sensor. That's, I mean, there's, there's something about the physics there that just doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to go right. with it. Well, it's not, it's computational. Like it's, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not, it's not just that they put good sensors and good lenses on their phones. It's that they actually like really push the envelope. And the reason they've been putting these super high end ultra wides on these phones is also to get more data. So the P40 series has a 40 megapixel ultra wide. That's pixel bin down to 10 megapixels, okay? Okay, So it's got like massive pixels, right? Because it's like 2.4 micron if you pixel bin them. Right. You know, but it was interesting. Remember I told you how the Mate 40 series kind of detunes the hardware a bit? Yeah. They went back to a 20 megapixel ultra wide. Okay. But it's larger pixels. Oh, all right. So they, they kind of like decided to kind of drop the binning and kind of... You know, they can still do binning apparently if they want to and get down from 20 megapixels to 5 megapixels on yeah, the ultrawide. Yeah. But they are doing mostly big pixels. So they're kind of doing what Samsung does with their main sensors on the non-ultra, right? Yeah. Um, where yeah. they're using very large 1.8 micron pixels on a 12 megapixel main sensor. So anyway, look, I could yeah. go on. The point oh, is sure. that I expect to see some very interesting things from the P50 series, but I expect the hardware to be like pretty much a match with the P40 series, maybe a few little tweaks here and there, but I think the software is what's really going to get us like some performance improvements. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that'll be, and that'll be great. Cause I mean, Huawei needs help at this point. So just because of the whole 
you know, empty list thing. Well, and- yeah, let's see how that pans out. I mean, we have a new government and, you yes, know, we do. I think they understand the difference between the Huawei network side and the actual, you know, PC phone business. Yeah. That was a distinction that was always really weird, like that they, that the government didn't make. It's like, well, the the distinction between the telecom business and the phone business. I mean, come on. We all know Trump was an idiot and he was using it as leverage. Well, sure. To, you know, to do this trade war, which is really not bringing us ahead in any way. Hey, because, trade wars are easy, though. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying by idiot. <laughs> like, it's easy to think that way. and But then it's not a good long-term strategy, right? Like... Anyway, the point I'm making is that I think the there is hope that they will lift this ban in some way. And then I don't expect them to sell in the US ever, but I right. do expect to see a global version of the of future Huawei phones, either the P series or the Mate series that have GMS for the global markets. I would love to see that. That would be amazing. That is all we need and for that they need to lift the ban to some extent, right? Right. And they've done that with ZTE. OZT, mm-hmm. right? Because we've yeah. got the Blade X1 5G now in the US, even though it's not branded as ZTE, ZTE at all, it's branded Blade. We all know it's made by them. Right. And, you know, it's not a separate company they spun off, like they spun off Honor, right? Huawei sold Honor. And yep. now Honor can make GMS phones again because they're not part of it. We actually had this discussion a few podcasts ago where there was this rumor that Huawei might sell the Peace and Mate series business. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that and, one. And that would be the same as them selling Honor, right? It's like now they can kind of skirt around these restrictions. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see. And I also want them to be able to continue making Kirin chips because their chips are very competitive. Yeah. And I hate to say this, but Qualcomm can't own all of it, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, Exynos, of course, exists, but it's we know it's not as good. And MediaTek's making some really good stuff right now and yeah. really kind of creeping up towards like the 700 series and maybe even the skirting the 800 series from Qualcomm with their newer chips. But I think Kirin right now, Huawei is really the closest we have to like a real 800 series Snapdragon from a competitor, right? Right, right, Especially with the integrated 5G because they have really good modems too, Mm -hmm. Huawei. So I think, I mean, you know, the the 5G logo lights up on the P40 and the Mate 40. (laughs) here in the US when you put a SIM in it. Now, That's it doesn't cool. connect to 5G because I think it requires standalone, but ah, okay. it sees a 5G network. It does. It just stays connected to LTE for whatever reason. Right. So, But you know what? There is one Chinese company that's making a lot of progress in the United States, and that's OnePlus. Well, yeah, good transition. I mean, OnePlus, supposedly, like this is a report from an analyst firm that you know, Sasha Segan at PC Mag kind of uh, wrote about, and it's, you know, the, the analyst company is Wave 7, and they're indicating that it looks like the sales of the OnePlus Nord series in the US. In the US, we don't get the good Nord. We get the kind of the crappier <laughs> Nords, like we get the N10 5G and the N100. And I don't want to say that they're crappy, but after you use the regular Nord, they are. Like, I'm sorry to say, I have two N10 5Gs. I have the European model and I have the US model. And honestly, the only thing that makes me excited about the N10 5G is that it's a OnePlus, it's running, you know, Oxygen OS, and that it's 300 US dollars, which is an insanely affordable price for a phone with those specs. Yeah, absolutely. But frankly, it doesn't perform as, as a OnePlus phone should. 765 right. is totally okay, but 690, you're stepping down into molasses a little bit, okay? Even with Oxygen OS. Yeah. Even with a 90 hertz display. I hate to say it, but it's true. So... 
the fact that these are selling apparently a lot through T-Mobile and particularly um, the Metro by T-Mobile uh, variant mm-hmm. tells me that maybe OnePlus is onto something here. Yeah, and I mean, OnePlus has been kind of a rising star in at least U.S. carriers for several years now. And, you know, it started when OnePlus first came to T-Mobile, which was the OnePlus 6T, if I recall correctly. Correct. Or was it the OnePlus 6, something like oh, that? You're right. And and since then, OnePlus has been, you know, gaining a lot of ground in the U.S. market. And that's really great to see because I, I enjoy OnePlus phones. I love using OnePlus phones. In fact, Oh, the OnePlus 6T on T-Mobile was the first smartphone that I bought with my own money in years. Um, so, and I really enjoyed using it. So it's, it's great to see OnePlus really making some some inroads, even if it is with a prepaid carrier. I always confuse prepaid and postpaid, but even if it is with a prepaid carrier like Metro, but I think that that just speaks to OnePlus's presence in general in the United States, which is a very important market. Yeah. No, I look, I think that if you're right now on a budget and you want a really good phone that has 5G, the, the Nord N10 5G is a good phone for that money. Yeah. But it's not really a OnePlus phone, like in my eyes. It's, okay. a, it's a solid phone for the money. Just don't expect the kind of like, oh my God, performance you get even out of a regular Nord. You know, the regular Nord for Snapdragon 765, it kicks ass. Like, yeah. Side by side with the OnePlus 8 or 8T, they feel identical. Oh, yeah. So that's a huge step up from the 690 running Oxygen OS. Yeah. Like, don't just take my word for it. Try it out if you get a chance. It's night and day. However, you look at the pricing, you scale things in your head, and then $300, it's perfectly fine. Now, the reason it's also not a OnePlus phone for me in my head is because it, you know, it has a whole bunch of other little compromises. Like, the camera is not that great. Okay. The camera system overall. It's a very kind of cheap 64 megapixel sensor. Like the Nord has a 48 megapixel Sony IMX586 with OIS, okay? Yeah. Like it's a whole dimension of better. Yeah, that's a s- very solid. Like it's still not it's still not Galaxy or iPhone good, but it's like holy crap loads better, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Like we're talking the, the Nord N10 5G is going to give you moto level of picture quality. And that's not terrible, but that's far from the best. We all know Moto just seems to not be able to make a good camera to save its life. Well, to be fair, <laughs> OnePlus is not ex- doesn't exactly have that reputation either. No, no, but if you look even at the high end, right? You take the Edge Plus, right? The best phone Moto made last year. Yeah. Versus the OnePlus 8 Pro, and OnePlus 8 Pro just freaking obliterates it in camera, mm. okay? Okay. That's fair. I would argue that even the OnePlus 8 and 8T obliterate the Edge Plus. All right. Like, it's a software thing. It's not just the hardware, right? Like, the Edge Plus has all the, checks all the boxes, right? It has a 108 megapixel main sensor with OIS. It has a telephoto 3X with OIS. It has an ultra wide. And yet, the photos that come out of the thing are like, meh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's the problem with Moto. And OnePlus has that problem to some extent, but they've... Over the years, and they're at least a premium mid-range, which is what I call the 8 and 8T, right? To me, even though they're flagship specs, they're still priced kind of like a little more reasonable. Those phones have kind of delivered reasonably good camera performance, way better than OnePlus used to. But you go back to the N10 5G, and it's like, you're back into Moto level, right? Right. 
And if you go up to the Nord, you're back to one plus eight, one plus eight T level. And then the eight pro is a whole different league because of the IMX 689, which is the same sensor as the Oppo Find X2 Pro, which is a freaking incredible main sensor that was custom made for BBK Group. Basically, there's only two phones in the world that have that sensor right now. And they share the same R&D department. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically a 48 megapixel sensor with massive pixels. So when you pixel bin them, you end up with like 2.2 micron or something insane like that. Right, right. Yeah. It's you know, huge. it's a successor to the 586, basically. And then, yeah. of course, the 8 Pro uses the 586 as an ultra wide, which is super cool. But look, yes, absolutely. If you take the best that OnePlus makes, it's still not in the same league as Apple and Samsung, right? Mm-hmm. Or Huawei in terms of imaging. But I'm just saying that if you take a moto phone at the high end it's not even close to any of those and then right. that's kind of my beef with the n10 5g is that the camera is very mad the performance doesn't quite live up to what you expect from oneplus and then it's all again all in the details right like no alert slider that's a oneplus thing yeah that is yeah that is kind of a signature like the 90 hertz is nice but it's on an ips panel and frankly it's not a fantastic panel it's fine again it feels very much very much competing with moto and that's yeah. probably a good strategy for the US market because the Moto G series and the, the new 5G, like the Moto 1 5G Ace and the 1 5G are very, very competitively priced and very decent phones for the money. Yeah. But I think that OnePlus is undercutting them, but you're undercutting them with those compromises. You get a 765 on those Moto phones. Here you get a 690. And then, you know, if you look at the BBK group as a whole, right, you look at the Realme 7 5G from the BBK group that sold abroad. And it's the same price. It's very similar in specs to the Nord N10 5G, and it obliterates it in terms of performance. Yeah. Why? Because MediaTek. Because MediaTek. It has a MediaTek Dimensity 800, and it's a better chip than the 690. And it has a better camera system, and it just feels more like a OnePlus phone in terms of performance. Yeah. So they sell that abroad. I really think that Realme has become the new OnePlus and the... I wouldn't say budget, but the affordable mid-range. Hmm, okay. Like, I get a lot of these Chinese phones. Well, this one is, uh, the Realme 7 5G was actually for Europe, but it's also available in India. So I get a lot of these India slash Southeast Asia phones, and some of them are also sold in Europe. And I'm always blown away by how competitive those markets are and how much more you get for your money. Yeah. I- and it, not just on paper, like in terms of actual like useful performance. Yeah, it's been a while since I've had the ch- opportunity to check out a Realme phone, so I should probably, uh, I should probably re uh, reinvestigate that myself. Yeah, so. when I reviewed the the Realme Seven Five G at first, I was like, okay, this looks like a more cosmetically exciting version of the Nord N Ten Five G, and then I was blown away by the, the MediaTek performance on that phone. Yeah, for the same money, and the camera is just—it's a different sensor, and it's definitely better. Like it's 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 a lesser spec sensor but uh, it's a better manufacturer of sensor i think they they're using like a, a samsung sensor whereas the the oneplus the n10 5g is using omnivision and omnivision sensors oh i don't like samsung sensors much but omnivision okay. sensors <laughs> sony all the way for me like well here's here's the reality folks samsung uses sony sensors mostly apple uses sony sensors mostly like i'm not talking front cameras i'm just talking main camera Right. And then Huawei uses bespoke Sony sensors. Like that yeah. 50 megapixel RYYB, it's made by Sony for Huawei. Right. It's completely bespoke. Nobody else gets it. 
It's just like the 689 on the Oppo Phoenix 2 Pro and the OnePlus 8 Pro. It's a completely bespoke for one company sensor by Sony. Yeah. They like to do that. <laughs> well, they're Sony. They're allowed to. Well, and also BBK has deep pockets. I right? think same with Huawei. They can, they're not going to spread that love over a number of products and a number of brands. Yeah. Like in the case of old Huawei, like, when they were designing that custom sensor, they had Honor. All, almost all the Honor flagships got that sensor too, right? Well, and, and also when you consider the market share that, you know, the companies that we're talking about have, you know, the OnePlus and the Oppo and the, and, and, and the and China, uh, Huawei, yeah. you know, when you, when you, when you look at those markets, you're, you're going to have that much volume that you can tell Sony, I want this sensor for my phones and that's it, you know, because you're going to order you know, millions and millions and millions of them. So it'll be fine. No, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about OnePlus, eh, this one, I was hesitant on putting it in. We know OnePlus is working on a watch. It's been rumored for a long time. Yes. Yeah. And it's accelerating a little bit in terms of rumor mill. And I'm honestly excited to see a potential OnePlus watch, especially if it doesn't use Android Wear and it uses a custom OS that they made in-house. Because my experience with watches like the Zep watch, or the Huawei watches, the GT series, which are their custom, you know, low power OS, is that basically think of those as glorified fitness bands, right? Mm -hmm. Turned into watches. Yeah. But because they're now watches, they have they're so much bigger that the battery life is literally two weeks on those things. Right. And you get continuous heart rate monitoring. You get automatic sleep sensing. You don't have to tell it you go to sleep like the Apple Watch. You just go to sleep. You have a nap in the middle of the day. It counts it for you. Right. And it does. It has all the exercise routines you'd expect. So, yeah, there's no apps. Yeah, these are essentially glorified, fancy-looking fitness trackers. But I'd rather yeah. have that, honestly, with good oh, notifications, yeah. which is what like the Zep watch does very well. I think the Huawei watches could be a little better on the notification front. I'd rather have notification, good fitness tracking, continuous heart rate monitoring, blood oxygen monitoring, and completely seamless sleep monitoring with a two-week battery life on a watch with a much more efficient processor and OS than Android Wear, frankly. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, my I've been wearing the Mi Band 5 for months now i think i got that when it first came out back in like july mm -hmm. and that's exactly what that does it's a fitness band that does you know all the notifications i recently switched over to the uh the galaxy watch 3 um the main reason for that was because it can sense blood pressure and i'm on the wrong side of 40 so that's kind of important for me um and and actually that was one thing i noticed in this article was um it was it was actually almost like a throw-in. Just to quote the article, it says, both models also seem to have two buttons on the side, and of course sensors on the bottom, heart rate, blood pressure, including some pins for charging. And I'm guessing what they mean is blood oxygen level. I don't yeah. think they meant blood pressure. Because no, nobody does it right right now on a watch, so... Well, Samsung's close. Um, yeah, I've been but the problem with Samsung, you have to recalibrate it pretty regularly. Like, if it's life critical for you, it's not going to be a real thing. Well, that and it's a third party app too. So the Samsung doesn't have a first party functionality there, which really irritates me because if you're going to advertise that you have it, it better be yours. But uh, anyway, they don't want to be on the hook. <laughs> probably a different conversation. I take my blood pressure with a you know Bluetooth based device every day, mm. and I would love it to be on my watch, but I don't know of any product right now that does that right. Yeah. 
I worked in medical imaging for a while, so I'm not a big fan of the FDA. Like, they are a real pain to work with. Okay. So it's like when I see FDA approval, I roll my eyes because on one hand, it's it's a good stamp of approval. But on the other hand, it means that product's 10 years out of date. Ouch. Okay. All right. That's how long it takes to approve a good product. Like five to 10 years. And, and so the end result is how are you going to get at the pace of technology today? How are you going to get a product in the consumer's hands in a timely manner? Understood. And then the cost of making it FDA approved generally just makes it no longer a consumer product. Yeah. You know, unless you're Apple and you have infinite amount of money that you can toss at the FDA, like you can't get this stuff approved without the price going to like a thousand dollars for a fitness tracker that should normally cost seventy nine. You know? Right. No, I told yeah, but at the same time, well, that's what insurance is for, isn't our healthcare system wonderful? No, but I don't like that. No, I don't agree with that. Uh, no, I don't either. <laughs> I think that vitals like continuous blood oxygen. And continuous heart rate, for a long time, that was the domain of, you know, specialized devices that had to get FDA approval, that had to be, you know, that had to be expensive and your insurance had to buy, right? Right, right. You need to find a middle ground where, yes, you need a stamp of approval, but at the same time, you need it to be affordable in the hands of the public. And oh, yeah. I hate that the healthcare system, I could go on forever about the healthcare system as a Canadian, <laughs> but I hate that they're, they're kind of trying to be a middleman and get in the way of things that, it's my body. I want to decide what I want to do for monitoring my bio. Right. And I want it to be accurate. Yes, I want a stamp of approval, but I shouldn't be having to go through middleman like an insurance and a doctor to get a device that I think is critical for myself. And you know, I worked for Pebble for a while and Pebble used the Pebble watch for continuous glucose monitoring. There was a whole community that hacked their continuous glucose monitoring hardware from the the, the official devices that were FDA approved Mm. and kind of paired it with the Pebble as a display for the device. And the medical world was fighting them on it tooth and nail. No, you can't do that. And But it was totally beneficial to the people who had diabetes mm. and were using the pebble with their continuous glucose monitoring devices. Yeah. So that's why I said I could go on about the FDA for a while. <laughs> I bet you could. No, I mean, yeah. In general, though, I, in general, in like in my world, smartwatches are basically and this is one thing that Apple picked up on very early in the in the discussion was um fitness trackers are or i should say watches are basically extra functional fitness trackers and you know the the focus really should be on health when it comes to wearables and i and i that's a realization that i came very slowly to um as i realized that most of the apps you know the air quotes apps that i wanted for my smartwatch were they weren't really all that helpful and really the things that I do with a smartwatch are notifications, sleep tracking, heart rate, you know, stuff like that. It's the same with me. Like, I don't use the apps. Like, I don't do navigation by looking at the display of my watch. Like, I'd much rather it being pumped into my earbuds, you know, right. by the phone. Speaking of which, uh, my Samsung watch just told me it's time to stand up and stretch. So I'll be right back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> nice, Adam. Uh, <laughs> but you should definitely do it after we're done. I definitely will. So speaking of BBK Group. Yeah. This is more exciting to me than the OnePlus watch rumors. This is weird, but interesting. <laughs> That's definitely how I would characterize it. Apple filed a patent. I mean, don't read too much into patents. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah. But of a selfie camera that's motorized, but it's not the way you think. Essentially, imagine the selfie camera being just above the display and a tiny little bezel above the display, like, you know, it used to be before we had notches and hole punches. 
Oh, yeah. But imagine it being on a track and being able to move electrically with a motor from the left of the bezel to the right of the bezel along the top of the bezel. So if you look at this article that I'm putting in the show notes, the GSM Marina article, you'll see an animation of this and it'll all make sense. So, <laughs> you know, pause the podcast, go check it out, come back. So there's a few things that pop to my mind right away, Adam, right? The first one is... <laughs> Why? Well, no. <laughs> that was my initial reaction. Then I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I can see all kinds of benefits here. Yeah. The first one is when you're doing video calls on your phone with your family. Usually for me, I use a computer when I do work video calls, but I tend to be a little looser in terms of you know, doing video calls with my phones with family and friends. Yeah. And I use so many different phones. I got to remember wh- which corner the camera is in, right? Okay. And and so I can see this being cool because you can adjust like where you want the camera to be basically, middle, left or right, whatever. Yeah. But that's the first thought. That quickly got replaced by, wait a minute, if you take a photo with this thing as it slides from left to right or right to left, mm-hmm. you can get a 3D view of your face. That is a very good point, yeah. Because of parallax. Yeah. And you get get much better depth sensing. Yeah. And you can do refocusing after the fact, but much better than what we're used to today. Yeah, I mean, there's there are a number of different uses to it. I'm just kind of and, and and yeah, it's it's exciting in that I think it's it's one of those things where it's exciting that they're pursuing it, and we'll we'll worry about the practical applications later. You know, it's, this is like one of those this is one of those cool weird things that phone companies do every now and then that just say, you know, what if we had this, and then they go build it, and then. The, the rest of us will figure out what it's good for. But I like I like the ideas that you've had so far. One other thing that they mentioned was uh, the the GSM Arena mentioned was perhaps doing a, panogra- a panoramic group yep. selfie, which could be really and actually like not even a panoramic group selfie. Just like imagine you taking a panoramic selfie like in front of the Grand Canyon or something like that. That would be amazing. And and if if something like that enables that, that would be really cool. Yeah, it would certainly be better than you. Your shaky hand trying to move the phone left to right. Yep, definitely. Especially with such a small camera. So look, I think it's cool. As an imaging aficionado, I had to kind of put it in there. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the weird one last week, the OnePlus patent, where they're putting a camera in the tiny little bezel between the glass of the display and the, you know, the metal edge of the phone. Like the smallest ever pinhole selfie camera. Okay. We talked about that on last show. And then there's also the weird periscope lens system that I think it was also Oppo showed like a few weeks back where it's a pop-up camera, like, you know, what you're familiar with. Yeah. But it's a much smaller pop-up module because the camera is not in there. The camera is inside the phone and it's a periscope. Oh, okay. It's a folded lens, right? So the only thing that, pops up from the side of the top side of the phone is essentially a prism, right? Yeah. So it's a submarine phone. Correct. I like it. I love yeah. it. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> like fire up your Beatles albums, everyone. There you go. So that's one more thing. We talked about Moto earlier in imaging. I recently reviewed the Moto One 5G Ace okay. for hot hardware, where I do most of my phone reviews. And I reviewed the Moto G Stylus, the new one, the 2021 edition for Geek spin. This is all last month. Yeah. And this new batch of US-centric affordable motor phones that came out had a common theme to them, 
which is that they're good phones overall with mediocre cameras because the Moto can't make a camera to save its life, as right. I keep saying. Right. But if you can get over that, they're pretty good spec phones. But their MSRP, as announced by Moto, is always cringeworthy, eyebrow-raising, meh. You know, it's like, <laughs> like I give you an example, Moto... One 5G Ace. 400 bucks is the MSRP on that phone. You're going to say, well, that's pretty good for a 5G phone with a Snapdragon. It's a 750. Yeah, seven, yeah. Which is a 700 series D2 and 765. And then you look at it closer and you go, oh, no, like it's a 60 hertz IPS panel, right? And it's $400 when you can, again, let's go back to the OnePlus Nord N10 5G. Yes, it's a 690, but you get a 90 hertz display for 300 bucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's... Compelling. So they always seem overpriced, but here's the thing we all forget when you look at the MSRP of motorphones is that they're never sold for that. Oh, no. Yeah. They're always sold at a discount within a week of being announced. And this is why I posted this Verge story is because <laughs> Google Fi is now carrying three of the phones that were announced in January. There were four phones, like there's one missing here. It's the Moto G Stylus 2021, which I reviewed for Geekspin. But the other three are now available on Google Fi for literally $100 less than they listed retail. Yeah, well, which is which is very moto. You know, it's like... Which, I mean, the Ace is 279 Now it makes sense. It's a 5G phone with a 750 with a 60 hertz display, but that's no big deal because you know what? It's cheaper than the Nord N10 5G from OnePlus and oh, yeah. it's a faster chip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, and, and that's the thing about Moto phones is, like you said, a week later you can expect at least twenty five percent off, if not more. So nobody should ever buy a Moto phone at launch ever. And the Moto <laughs> G Play for ninety nine dollars. I have that phone here. It's too basic for me, but right, like it's better than a Moto E. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, twenty twenty in general was one of those magical years where you would actually have to try to buy a bad phone in 2020, like even going down to the lower end, like the Moto G's and the Moto E's, you know, you would have to, you would have to really look for a bad phone. And, you know, yes, there's going to be compromises with camera. Yes, there's going to be compromises with, you know, the screen, the 60 hertz, which, by the way, if you listen to my podcast, I do not care about 90 or 120 hertz screens. So I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're, you do and a lot of other people do. And that's fine. I will not yuck your yum. But if I'm reviewing a phone that has a 120 hertz screen, I will mention it, but I will not be excited about it. If you spent $250 or more on a phone in 2020, you got a good phone. I mean, there's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yes, there were better phones that you could have probably gotten if you wanted to, you know, measure value and, you know, cost and return of investment, yada, yada, yada. But basically, if you slap down... It's not an investment. <laughs> Any phone you buy is never an investment. If you slap down 250 bucks, yeah. you got a good phone. I mean, really, you got a phone that you can go home and be satisfied with. And that's that was really the amazing part of 2020 was you had to really try to find a bad phone. And by the way, I was gesticulating so much while I was talking. Samsung <laughs> just say I said I did a great job and thanks for standing up and exercising. <laughs> so That's fantastic. Look at you. I'm trying to rile you up, Adam, so you can get your exercise, okay? Yeah, I appreciate it. Is that working? <laughs> Um, well, you know, anytime we talk about moto phones, you get my blood pressure going. So yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I like them, <laughs> but I just don't understand this weird strategy of them launching them at a hundred dollars more than they should be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't mess with us. Just launch them for the right price and blow us away. That's all you need to do, moto. Seriously. Well, that and fix all your cameras. 
Well, every single camera that you've ever made. Well, almost. Like, okay, the Edge Plus was pretty good. And and the Razer 5G, the 5G, very specifically the Razer 5G, because it has a YS and a 48 megapixel sensor is actually okay. Yeah, but I've heard that. anything else, particularly the Moto Edge non-plus, like the balls that they had to not put a YS on that phone, mm-hmm. I want to find the person at Moto that decided that and have a little talking to with them. Yeah, I got to say, my, my podcast partner, or not partner, co-producer, sorry, co-producer Cliff, picked up the Moto, Raze, uh, the Moto Edge, not Plus, and he actually quite enjoyed the experience. So It's a great phone, but yeah. what I'm saying is that it's okay without OIS. It's like the LG Velvet. It's okay without OIS on the main sensor, but at that price point, at that premium level of build you should and have features, it, it is un effing acceptable to not have OIS on your main sensor. Agree. Read my lips, Moto and LG, and you fixed it with the wing LG. The wing is essentially a velvet with the weird screen pivot thing. And strangely enough, they put OIS on the main sensor on that phone. And you know what? That's one of my favorite phones of 2020. It is so fun. The wing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So fun. It's right here. Every now and then, I pull it out just to go out there, and I walk around, and I flip it in front of somebody, and they're like, what just happened? (laughs) I love the gimbal. I love the built-in gimbal when when it's in wing formation. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's good for video, yeah. Yeah. I shot a whole bunch of uh, video with it from my channel, actually. It could be better, the quality, because you can tell that they're, you know, cropping this bigger sensor, right? Sure, sure. And so- I wish it was, like, I shoot mostly with an iPhone 11. I mean, Apple is unbeatable for video, right? Like, we all oh, yeah. know that. And yeah. and you go back to the wing and you compare and you see, like, yeah. But the stability of the gimbal and the fact that you can kind of, like, pan, right? Pretty dope. You know, I did um, I did a, a 5G testing video on my on my YouTube channel, and it was shot over two days. I had, like... I don't know, 276 clips. It was the total video was about 15 minutes long, I think. It was yeah. all shot handheld with the wing. And I was kind of impressed with that. So I'm like, uh, I, I was I, I was very impressed with what the wing can manage with that with that gimbal functionality. So basically the takeaway here is for me is that you cannot go wrong with either three of these phones at those prices on yeah. Google Fi. And especially the one 5G Ace is now priced to even beat the Norden 10 5G. And frankly, having used both extensively, I would take the one 5G Ace, even though it's 60 hertz and I prefer 90 hertz, simply because again, again and again, the Nord and 10 5G performance doesn't live up to my expectations of what I get from a OnePlus phone. Whereas the Moto One 5G Ace, yeah. it was a 750 in there. It's super nice and snappy. Agree. Um, speaking of Moto, okay, Moto is doing something interesting and also flabbergasting. I mean, like <laughs> question mark raising. You know, for a long time, there was some commonality between the G series in the US and the G series abroad. Yeah. Especially because they sell a lot, mostly the G series super popular in South America and Central America, right? Right. And in like markets like Vietnam and, and Philippines and stuff like that. And so, you know, for a long time, you'd get pretty much the same phone. They would change the naming sometimes a little bit, like, you know, shuffle them around. Yeah. But now it seems that like spec wise, design wise, Everything-wise, they're creating an entire new parallel universe of G-phones for the rest of the world. And I'm saying that because they just launched 
two new G phones for Europe that we have not seen in the US yet that don't resemble anything that we've seen before. Yeah. That maybe will come to the US rebranded, but there's so many G series phones and they like they release them so quickly that I think it's starting to branch off as to them making G series phones for custom markets, right? And wouldn't surprise me. Nothing is more obvious than these two phones, the G10 and G30. And it's not what you think. The G30 is the better device, yes, because the number is higher. But like G10, you think it'd be the successor to the ninth generation G, right? Because yeah. they, they launched a ninth generation G in Europe in the fall. Yeah. And technically, the G series we just got in the US that we were just discussing for Google Fi is the ninth generation for the US. Yeah. Yeah. So now, is this the 10th generation and we're going to get something equivalent in a few months in the US? Or is this completely a new thing and they're branching off and doing something called the G10 and G30? It reminds me a lot, and I think the article mentions this, of the A series on Samsung. You know, like the, the A10, the A20, the A30, the A whatever, and it goes up to the A70, right? Yeah. And and then now it's A71, A72, right? Like they're tiering the A series Samsung into different budget to mid-range phones yeah and then they're incrementing the the single digit for the like the year right for the generation yeah well because because am i crazy but samsung has the a50 series and the a70 series right correct so they have the a10 yeah the a20 the a i think there's an a30 or 40 and then a 50 <laughs> and a 70 oh man <laughs> and, and they're definitely broad like it's like the g series on moto like the g fast or G Play is really basic. Yeah. And then you look at the G Stylus and it's like a pretty complete package, right? So, and then there's a the G Power and the G Fast and there's a whole bunch of Gs in the middle. Yeah. And so maybe that's what they're doing with this numbering. Like the G10, G30 thing is like they're tiering the G into a naming convention that makes more sense. Yeah. That uh, hopefully, I mean, because that means next week, next year we'll get the Moto G11 and the G31. And the G31. Exactly. And maybe we'll get those in the US as well. <laughs> would would be cool like that yeah. we actually get. Although I don't think the US being quite as into that because Americans don't really care which generation they buy. Like you know in India people will be like, "Oh, this has better specs, I'm buying this one." Right. Uh whereas here they're like uh, I walked into my Metro by T-Mobile store and the guy said I should buy this phone and it didn't look too sucky, so I bought it. Right. Well, I think it's also um, I think it's also a question of, you know, there's so many different, you know, carriers and, you know, sub-brands in America. They probably have to do that for some kind of skew reason, you know, so that they can sell the, the Motorola Ace to, you know, Metro by T-Mobile, but they're going to sell the Motorola G Power to... Cricket, I don't know. Right. I'm just naming nope, names off right. the top of my head. So it could it could be something like that too. Whereas you know, in Europe, it's a much more. It, unless I'm wrong, I've never been to Europe, but unless I'm wrong, it's a much more cohesive. You know, because the carriers don't necessarily sell contract phones, so you can take your you can buy your phone from anywhere, take it to any carrier you want, and yada yada. So there's like probably less SKUs and probably less you know sales channels involved there. No, absolutely. And so in a in a surprising move that surprised nobody, well, okay, maybe that's exaggerating because it did surprise me, but it <laughs> was one of those aha moments, right? So it was like one of those, of course you do that moments. Right. So that's why I mean by surprise nobody. Like it shouldn't surprise you, but it was a surprising thing. Copay's company, the new one he created called Nothing, has acquired the brand for Essential. Remember the Essential phone? 
Andy Rubin's company. I very much remember that. And, and in fact, can I? Just, yes. I just I just want to throw this out here because like you don't even have to ask the question, Adam. You get a blanket. Yes. The day the day the essential the the day nothing was first announced, I just. You know, I, I tweeted this out on that day. Said every word of this story feels like an essential reboot, but with less sex controversy. We hope. Well, we do, yeah. And then, like, sure enough, three weeks later, <laughs> nothing is buying essential. And like, what? <laughs> what is up? With it? And, and and the weird part about this is, is that you know, basically, nothing bought essentials branding, but that there's nothing in there about like the patent portfolio or anything that that essential develops. So we're kind of like wondering at this point, at this point, we don't know what nothing is like they not they nothing has basically said nothing about what they it's are. It's nothing, Adam. How do I have to spell it out for you? Well, OK. And then I got an email from nothing saying, hey, we're looking for investors. Do you want to invest? We're going to crowdsource our investment portfolio. So if you want to buy a piece of nothing, you know, you just let us know. And I'm just like, you haven't told me what you are yet. I don't know if I want to give you money. <laughs> and so like, and now that they've bought Essential, I guess they're going to be a hardware company. And they said they're going to have like wireless earbuds later on yeah. this year. Yay. Um, you know, it's just, I, it, there's so much about nothing that like, I, I, you know, I want to be root for it. You know, I like Carl Pay. He's a good dude, and you know, he's yeah. got great ideas. But, but you know what? You know who else was a good dude who had great ideas? Andy Rubin. So, like, I'm just kind of like. It, it, I mean, I think he had good ideas about being a good dude, though. I think that ship sailed a while back. Okay, that's that is that is a point well taken. He had good ideas, and so it's like, I'm sure you have a great idea, and I'm sure you're excited about it, and you know, Lord knows they already found some round of investors, but chances are those investors know a little bit more about the company than what they've publicly said. So it's just like, it to me, nothing is exactly that. It's nothing. Like announce something, and then we'll talk. You know exactly. I support what you're saying. Well, it's basically much ado about nothing. I just had to do it. I'm sorry. Dad joke. I'm a nerd. I'm a dork. That's how I go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, so there's one last thing to talk about real quickly, and it's Panasonic. So, Panasonic, they always send me all their, you know, press releases and they always brief me on all their tough book stuff. Yeah. And it's really cool. Like, these are not consumer products. These are used by enterprise and fleets, like, you know, fire departments, police departments, and construction companies, and yeah. big corporate, like, oil companies, and people that need, like, super indestructible, rugged computers. Yeah. And phones, they make phones, too, and tablets. They make Android tablets as well. I played with one of their Android tablets. I still have it. I need to send it back to them. Okay. Look. They're pretty awesome products. They're really, I mean, again, they're not consumer products. Don't even ask for the price because you don't buy them in one at a time. You buy them in bulk if you're an enterprise. You buy them a thousand at a time, yeah. Yeah, and and so what's interesting is the Toughbook 33 is their bestseller. It's a Windows-based two-in-one. Mm-hmm. So the, think of it as like a, kind of a Microsoft Surface type setup, but instead of like a, a floppy little kickstand and keyboard <laughs> thing, it actually has like a, a keyboard with a hinge. And like think... um. 
Surface Book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's, like it's, the tablet, the computer clicks into the keyboard and like the keyboard itself has like ports and extra batteries and extra thing. And there's different keyboards. There's a slim keyboard and a thicker keyboard and like a completely like a keyboard, you know, for the medical world. Like it's it's a membrane thing or whatever. It's like, I don't think it's membrane, but I'm just saying it's like one of those antimicrobial and you can clean it with like the super harsh chemicals they use in hospital stuff. Anyway, yeah. super cool. The, the Toughbook 33 is kind of legendary current gen yeah windows panasonic toughbook but they've just updated it the gen 2 came out and what you need to know here is really a few things it's got a 10th generation intel chip the reason they go with 11th is because this these things take a while to develop yeah and for the kind of market they're going for they don't need the latest and greatest bleeding chip anyway sure um but things that are really interesting about it is like 1200 Nits display, like super bright, so you can visible in direct sunlight, right? Right, because you need that. Remember, this thing has like Gorilla Glass Victus or whatever on the front, and it has also, you know, touch layer, capacitive, mm-hmm. pen input, Wacom digital. So it's got a lot of layers in the display, so you really yeah. need it to be bright to be able to read in direct sunlight, have good viewing angles. Mm-hmm. And then it goes down to two nits. Oh, wow. Why? Okay. Because night vision goggles. Okay. All right. Because if you're like, they sell these to the military in the military, they might be wearing night vision goggles and they use their tough book out in the field and they don't want to take them off and they don't want to be blinded. So two nits. For some reason, I have this mental image of a U.S. soldiers hunkered down in a, in a, barracks somewhere wearing night vision goggles, playing free cell on their top. There you go. Yeah. That'd be funny to play like, you know, some war game. Minecraft. (laughs) Yeah. Minecraft. Awesome. (laughs) But like, there's other things that are interesting. Like, it now comes with like all the Panasonic Toughbooks always had like single or dual SIM options uh, with built-in LTE or 5G. Yeah. I don't think this has 5G yet, but I think it's 4G LTE still. But it has eSIM now too. Yeah. So like, if you're an enterprise and you have a thousand of those out in the field, you can provision each other's SIMs remotely. That's awesome. Think about that if you're an IT person. That like, I'm not a huge fan of eSIM for consumer, but I totally for this application. Hell yeah, do it. Oh, like, yeah. That makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, just um, Juan Bagnell had, did a video on this tough book. He actually has one that he's in for reviewing. And he brought up, like, so many good points that you don't even think about when it comes to, like, you know, durable tablets like this. Like, first of all, you know, the reason the cost is fairly high is because you're front-loading all the development that's going to go into this because this thing is going to be out in the field for 10 years. You yeah. know, this thing is going to be out there for a long time. And so yeah. you're you're basically front-loading all those developmental costs. But also, like, you know, there's there's um there's features here that you definitely want to have out in the field, like hot swappable batteries. Yeah, there's two batteries, so you can remove one while you remove the other. They also have keyboards with batteries. Like it's mm-hmm. crazy stuff. And yeah. the handle, the, this is so genius. I love this. The handle on the tough book comes out of the back of the keyboard, and you yeah. know you can carry it around like that. That's your briefcase handle. But the handle also props up the the tough book so when you open it it's not going to flop backwards because the you know because the monitor part is so heavy it's just really brilliant i love it so yeah and and it has window hello support so it has a time of flight camera for biometrics yeah it has fingerprint readers all kinds of different biometric authentication systems because you know different enterprises have different needs there mm-hmm. i mean it's it's super feature packed and like you know like look at the base config 16 gigs of ram 512 gig ssd as a base model mm-hmm Oh, and by the way, you can drop it off the top of a ladder. 
This is going to be sitting on the dashboard of a cop car for 10 years. Oh, yeah. With that kind of spec. It's crazy, right? Oh, yeah. And and it's amazing because, you know, you can get so much out of these things and they're going to be lasting you. They're going to last you forever because they're not going to break. They're not going to get outdated. <laughs> they're just going to be, you know, and that's why you can, that's why you're going to buy a thousand of them and hand them out to employees. Yeah. I've been saying for a while now that Panasonic should look at a, doing a prosumer slash like, you know, consumer variants of these products mm. that are still super expensive and that are maybe semi-rugged because this is the full-on rugged, but they also make semi-rugged versions of these. And I think that might be a hit for some people. Like imagine a computer like this, maybe not quite that level ruggedness, but semi-rugged that you could edit 4K video and Premiere on. Yeah. So anyway, this is exciting. Yeah. And because, you know, you can't, as a technology enthusiast, you cannot just be awed by this, by this kind of tech. It's a, it's a real interesting thing. And uh, so I just wanted to bring it up because the Toughbook 33 is legendary and this is Mark II. This is version two of it. So kudos to Panasonic for uh, keeping that going. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much the show, Adam. Yeah. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? And um, I know you have your own podcast now, so plug that. I would love to. Yes. Uh, so you can find me on the internet at Dead Technology, um, and you can find my podcast at Benefit of the Doubt. That's like my last name, D O U D. So don't look for Benefit of a Doubt. That's a different podcast. I'm Benefit of the Doubt, and uh, we're, I have a weekly podcast where we go over the news. I had Miriam on um, <laughs> six months after I interviewed her, and she had actually <laughs> kind of forgotten that she had interviewed with me. And like, hey, he said, "Hey, just so you know, your interview is going up this weekend." She's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> so yeah. uh yeah sorry about that um but anyway um yeah so we have interviews we have news we have reviews i like to call it all the ooze of technology i i cover them all so it's amazing it's it's awesome benefit of the doud.com d-o-u-d check it out folks and you know where to find me on the internet i'm at tankerl that's t-n-k-g-r-l like the comic book character tankerl but drop the vowels that's my twitter handle and my instagram handle if you want to discuss the podcast tweet at adam and tweet at me on this particular show and we'll answer your questions and whatever and of course uh, check out my instagram for pictures of phones pictures taken with phones all the good uh, visuals that go alongside the show and if you want more visuals i got an entire two youtube channels you can subscribe to so please subscribe to them the first one is youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast that's to support this show directly with all the actual phones and things we discussed today i eventually will get my hands on them so subscribe like tell your friends all that good stuff comment and then there's a second channel we're starting to develop my producer and i call youtube.com slash mobile tech more and it's just like all that smart home stuff and you know weird cool accessories like connected air purifiers we've got like blenders on there we've got a bunch of other fun stuff coming we've got a sharp connected microwave that uh, is controllable through alexa which i'm just having a blast with right now so <laughs> you know stay tuned subscribe particularly subscribe to this new channel because we we would like to monetize it we need more subscribers so please look at it youtube.com slash mobile tech more and then of course the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com it's on all the major platforms too so google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, pocket cast spotify everywhere you'll find good podcasts you can find the show please subscribe tell friends tell the world and if you want to support the show a little bit with a donation we have that option there's a link in the show notes please donate so paypal links pretty straightforward if you can help us continuing to do the show 
weekly i would really appreciate you considering it and also consider helping us sponsor they've been with us for a really long time since the early days of the show that's audible Audible audible.com is kind of like the place to go for audiobooks if you like to read as much as i do do yourself a favor and join audible if you haven't already we have a special deal a special offer a 30-day free trial you get to keep a book at the end if you don't stay and no matter what you do it helps the podcast and it helps audible so check it out audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is the url that's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech if you want to help the podcast this is your chance if you want to help audible check it out audible is really awesome i love the choice of books they have there's an, an incredible collection of books and more importantly some of the books are read by the authors are these epic you know sometimes 12 14 hour long listens as it were and you can break them up like you would a real book it's kind of fun stuff so again consider helping us and helping audible with a subscription audibletrial.com slash mobile tech and adam thanks again for being on the show thanks for having me i really appreciate it it was fun we'll definitely have you on again sometime in the future and folks we'll have a show next week so stay tuned for that everyone cheers This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.